0: It's well, election night all around our great country, but for the next hour, we won't be discussing McBroom, Dianda, Shooty Whitmer, James, or Stabenow. For the next hour, the only ones that'll be asking for your vote are guys like Jim Harbaugh, Brian Kelly, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Dabo Sweeney, maybe even Craig Council, and Christian Yelich. It's a sports pen on ESPN-UP, and the ESPN-UP app Tanner hoops with you on this Tuesday afternoon, in case you are just getting out there waiting to vote at the last minute. We've got you covered on everything you need to know in the world of sports. Now, I mentioned a list of people that will be asking for your vote. Tonight, the second edition of the college football playoff rankings come out. Those five coaches, as mentioned, they will be among the top five vying for the top four spots and a chance to get in to the college football playoff at season's end. Again, long way to go until then, and they've got some tough games ahead. The roads aren't too easy. The latter two, of course, with the Milwaukee Brewers, they found out yesterday that they will be up for postseason awards in Major League Baseball. Christian Yelich, is he the favorite? Is it safe to call him the MVP favorite by now? He's one of the three finalists, along with Dolan Arenado from the Rockies and Javier Baez from the Cubs. Meanwhile, his manager, Craig Council, is up for National League Manager of the Year. He's there along with Brian Snitker and Bud Black. Over on the American League side, Mookie Betts, you got to figure that he's the favorite to win the AL MVP this year. Think back to our Twitter poll that we did a few weeks ago when the Red Sox were making their run through the postseason. Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez were the top two vote-getters. Seemed pretty reasonable. J.D. Martinez isn't even one of the three finalists. That tells you how good of a season the Red Sox have had and what kind of a year Mookie Betts has had. The other two finalists for AL MVP, Jose Ramirez and Mike Trout. Going through the rest of the awards for Major League Baseball's postseason, American League Rookie of the Year, third baseman for the Yankees, Miguel Andahar, is up there along with his teammate Glaber Torres and Shohei Otani, the pitcher slash outfielder for the Angels. National League Rookie of the Year, Ronald Acuna, outfielder from Atlanta, Walker Bueller, the pitcher from Los Angeles who burst on the scene as of late, and outfielder Juan Soto, Of the Nationals, manager of the year in the American League, Kevin Cash, Alex Cora, and Bob Melvin. Cora, of course, winning the World Series with Boston in his first season. The AL Cy Young finalists, Corey Kluber, Blake Snell, and Justin Verlander, former Tigers pitcher, is among the AL Cy Young finalists. Over in the National League, up for Cy Young, Aaron Nola, Jacob deGrom, and Max Scherzer. Hear a few Tigers fans out there cringing through the radio airwaves hearing these former Detroit pitchers enough up for postseason awards like the Cy Young, the winners will be recognized November 12th through 15th as baseball season officially comes to a close. So Christian Yelich and his manager, Craig Council, both up for postseason awards. What's the likelihood that they get it? Pretty hard to argue against him. Yelich is going to win the MVP. I think that's more likely than Council winning manager of the year, but both of them are pretty likely. If Council gets his team to the World Series, he has manager of the year on lock. But the big case for Brian Snitker is going to be that he took just a terrible Atlanta team and he turned them into 90-game winners and division champions. Bud Black did something similar with Colorado here in the last few years. But you can't underestimate what Greg Council's done this season. Christian Yelich doesn't win MVP, then you know the system's rigged. Very, very likely that his manager could join him as National League Manager of the Year, especially after the improbable run the Brewers had this season. But a few other news and notes at the national level to keep an eye on. Yesterday, the Los Angeles Kings made a change at the coaching position. They got rid of John Stevens in favor of Willie Desturdens. The Kings with just an awful start to the season. They're in dead last. The Chicago Blackhawks decide to follow suit. And they do it in a big way. They dump Joe Quinville after three Stanley Cups in ten seasons. A guy who's won twice as many games as he's lost. And they let him go. Obviously, last year was a bad year. They missed Corey Crawford, and they definitely did. They had an accountant coming in, playing a legit game. They had a guy who was at his accountant job last season had to come in and play on, what, an hour's notice, played a real NHL game. That's what the goalie situation was like last year in Chicago. This is a horrible fire. This is just a really, really bad firing by the Chicago Blackhawks. Chicago's slide over the last few years is not on Coach Q. It's not on Coach Q. He's one of the best in the game. And Chicago just parted ways with him. And whoever snaps him up is going to get an incredible steal. You might look out west. You might look at the Kings who just parted ways with John Stevens. Why wouldn't you want Coach Q? Everything he's done in Chicago, their slide these last couple of years, not his fault. Not his fault. And who's to say that Chicago got better with this move? Did they expect that? Did they expect that they were going to get better by parting ways with him? Whether you have Coach Q behind the bench or not, you still had a legit accountant, a guy who was at his accounting job earlier that day, didn't know he was going to play till about an hour before the puck dropped, came in as an emergency goalie. You still had an accountant in net for an NHL game. That's an embarrassment on your front office. You're not able to stack your net well enough, you're going to put it on the coach? No. All kinds of respect for the Bauman family and what they've done for hockey, but that's a terrible firing. Coach Q deserves better. He deserves that after the success he's had. He's not just some scapegoat. It's a slow start to the year once again for Chicago, 6-6-3. But firing Coach Q is not going to make it better. Look at their defensemen. Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook. Those guys are over the hill. Okay, they are over the hill. They need a new young core of defensemen to come in. This is a time where you want to build around a future Hall of Fame coach. Not give him up and pin losses that aren't his fault on him just because you don't want to take the heat. This was a terrible firing by the Chicago Blackhawks. And there are Detroit fans out there thinking, yeah, Jeff Blash still has a job somehow. And I'll say this about Blash: They would not get better by firing him either. Detroit's another team that just needs to trust the process. and Hockey is one of those sports where they are the most impatient front offices in all of professional athletics. Hockey wants to win right now. Making the playoffs, winning a series or two in the playoffs, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Doesn't matter what your resume is, what kind of repertoire you have. If you're not consistently contending for a Stanley Cup in a one- or two-year window span, then you're not coming back. Joe Quenville was playing for a cup and hoisting it back in 2015. Now he's out of a job as of this morning. Hockey turns on you quickly. And I think in large part, the Pittsburgh Penguins set that precedence. Think back to 2014, Dan Balsma. Stanley Cup champion as an interim head coach in 2009. Coaching Team USA at the Olympics in February of 2014. By June 2014, he's out of a job. Because Pittsburgh got bounced in the Eastern Conference semifinal. And I didn't think they upgraded from him either. As a Penguins fan, I wasn't too high on Mike Johnston. Very high on Mike Sullivan. That guy's done a wonderful job since he's come to Pittsburgh. And I know that my friends who are Blackhawks fans, they don't like this move at all. They don't like it. They know what Coach Q can bring, what he's all about. And I'm serious. You go out to Eastern Iowa, you are going to find a lot of Chicago Blackhawks fans Some weekend, if you get the chance, go to Iowa City, wear a Blackhawks jersey, see how many people buy you a drink. I've never done it. I'm not going to wear a Blackhawks jersey in public. Penguins fan. But there is a lot of Chicago Blackhawks fans over there in the eastern Iowa area, the Iowa City area, whenever I go out there to visit friends at the University of Iowa. Plenty of guys talk hockey with. Plenty of guys. And they're not happy with this move. Nor should they be. Coach Q deserves better with what he's done. I get the season has not gone the way Chicago has wanted it to. Last year didn't go the way they wanted it to. Did they get better by parting ways with him? They didn't. Who can they possibly bring in that's better? I don't know that Chicago can upgrade in this move. Coach Q knows the system. He's won three cups in 10 years. His wins double his total losses. No matter who comes in to coach that team, They are still going to work with an aging Seabrook, an aging Duncan Keith, and a somewhat healthy Corey Crawford. The Blackhawks team is not built to win, and that's on the front office. That's not on Coach Q. Sticking with puck talk, the Red Wings have been playing well as of late, playing good hockey as they welcome Vancouver to Little Caesars Arena this evening, 730 puck drop. Are they starting to turn a corner? Are they starting to figure it out? They have a lot of skill on that team, especially at the forward position. They're just young, and now they're starting to play as if youth is not an excuse. Goaltending, certainly you could use an upgrade. Howard and Bernier, they are not the goalies of the future. The defense there leaves a lot to be desired, but they've got guys that can score the puck. Young talent that's going to be around for a while. Jeff Blash will need some time to build this team up, but he can sure do it. He can sure do it. He's the right guy to do it. I've seen what he can do in the United States Hockey League. Won the 2010 Clark Cup with the Green Bay Gamblers. You give him a little time, he'll make a smart man out of your GM. But he's put in a tough spot. Because Detroit's such a hockey city with such a tradition, they want to win now. They're not patient like 76ers fans. Doesn't mean they should be. They're just not. That's a culture over in Detroit. They want to win now. And that's fine. That's the culture they've established there. They rightfully deserve it. After the years of hockey they've had, Their years of good hockey they've had there. That's why I don't think Jeff Blaschel's going to work out there. And I think that's too bad for him, that he's in a position where it's going to be tough to win. He's not in a very winnable situation. He's a guy that wants to build this team up, use the Gruden method, use the Brent Brown method. But he's not in the city that's going to be patient enough for him to do that. And it's a shame to think what Detroit could be if they buy into Blaschel's way. But ultimately, I think he's going to be relieved of his coaching duties before he ever gets to see his plan come into fruition. Coming up, we have our weekly message from the MHSAA, the Michigan High School Athletic Association, plus the headline topic today, the top players that have been wasted in their prime in the NFL over the last 15 years. That's coming up next on the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the espn app.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP
0: app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. Don't forget, Big Paydays back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only at Ojibwe Casino, Barriga and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you for ESPN-UP on your Tuesday afternoon. The last couple of nights... We've seen some compelling storylines in primetime NFL football. Brady and Rodgers two nights ago, the Cowboys debuting Amari Cooper last night. I don't think I've ever watched two games as much as I have those two and thought of the wasted potential that's on display and that's part of this football game. It made me wonder, how can we ever know what some players are capable of? As a football fan, it's really sad to be honest with you. There are guys who could be multiple Super Bowl winners, multiple MVP winners, superstars, legends, future Hall of Famers, and they just never get their chance because they're in a city, a franchise, they're in a coaching scheme, something that's wasting them during their prime. It made me wonder, does anybody come to mind? Well, if you did. And it made me put together a list... Of the biggest names in the NFL who have been wasted during their prime over the last 15 seasons. Now, I want to talk wasted during their prime, meaning that they were part of a scheme, part of a team, a coach, a GM situation that did not allow them to reach their full potential. Now, when I say that, don't reach their full potential. Here's what I mean by that. What I'm doing for my list, anyway, my list is guys who haven't struggled with drugs, suspensions, at least nothing that's totally derailed their career, not something that they haven't been able to come back from. That's why Randy Gregory, Martavius Bryan aren't on this list. Certainly Justin Blackman, remember him? All those guys could have been really special football players, and they've struggled with off-the-field issues. My list includes guys who are being wasted by their team, being wasted by their coach, their GM, and the supporting cast around them. Everyone in this area has got to be thinking, is Aaron Rodgers on my list? Yes, he is. Aaron Rodgers, in fact, is at the top of my list. There are people out there who will tell you Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback of all time. And they might be right. They might be right. And we're just never going to get to know. But there are also people that will tell you that and then say they like having Mike McCarthy as their head coach. I don't think you can say that. Because if Aaron Rodgers is really the greatest quarterback of all time, he needs to have more than one Super Bowl ring. So is it him or is it Mike McCarthy? Is it Thompson in the front office? Is it his supporting cast? Maybe all of the above except Rodgers. Think about Aaron Rodgers in an offensive-minded system. What if he went to the L.A. Rams right now? He'd be a step up from Jared Goff. I'm not sold on Jared Goff yet. Not to say he can't be a good quarterback. I'm just not sold on him. Aaron Rodgers has the raw talent to make things happen despite a poor supporting cast, a poor coaching staff, and a poor front office. Aaron Rodgers with the Rams right now, that's a Super Bowl favorite. That's a Super Bowl favorite because you put Todd Gurley in the backfield, a guy who can not only run the ball well, he can catch it out of the backfield. You put wideouts for him like Woods and Cup. There's no stopping that L.A. team. No stopping him. Plus the defense that he has to work with. That's what he's been missing in Green Bay for how long? The defense. Aaron Rodgers would have weapons unlike any he's seen over in L.A. Plus, he has one of the best coaches in football. Maybe the best offensive mind in football. That's debatable. But Sean McVay makes it debatable because of what he's been able to accomplish before his 33rd birthday. Aaron's accomplishments, they speak for themselves. But what could he have if he was matched up with Sean Payton, Bill Belichick, or Sean McVeigh instead of Mike McCarthy? How many rings would he have? If Ted Thompson wasn't his GM and he surrounded him with pieces to win instead of taking him away, How many rings would Aaron Rodgers have? I feel for the guy. I feel for the guy. I'm not trying to rip into the Packers, but doesn't it make you mad? I'm not even a Packers fan, but doesn't it make you mad that we may never get to see how good this guy really is? I mean, he's making jaw-dropping throws. He's carrying the Packers. Doesn't it make you mad that we're seeing prime talent being wasted? Maybe the best to ever play the game. And they're wasting him. He may finish with just one Super Bowl ring. Doesn't that upset you? From a strictly a football standpoint, how can that not upset you? Who else is on my list? Well, last night I talked about Monday Night Football and how that made me think of a couple of guys who should be on the list. And I brought two of them on from last night's game. Marcus Mariota being one. The other's out of the game. Jason Witten. Jason Witten, only three guys in the game have ever caught more passes than him. How many rings does Jason Witten have to show for it? Well, put it this way. I've got as many Super Bowl rings as Jason Witten has. An 11-time Pro Bowler in his 15-year career. During Witten's 15-year career, he made the playoffs just six times for eight games. He played eight postseason games in his career, one of the best to ever put on a jersey and play in the NFL, 1,152 catches for 12,448 yards, that's his career, that's his career in the regular season alone, that's not even counting the playoffs, and the only way he's ever going to be a part of the Super Bowl is for some reason he makes it the broadcast booth, which I know there's not a lot of people that would be happy about. I think there'd be a lot of people who'd rather see him on the field. That's a different story. Jason Witten was largely in part wasted due to his head coaching. Let's look at the coaches he had during his time in the NFL, which was all spent in Dallas, by the way. From 2003 to 2006, he had Bill Parcells, who was past his prime. That was toward the later years of Parcells' coaching career. He went 34-30 and during his time with Dallas and Jason Witten. After that, Wade Phillips from 2007 to 2010. Here's the worst part. Phillips has the best winning percentage of any of Jason Witten's pro coaches at 607. Wade Phillips had him for four years. And then Jason Garrett came over. Does anything more need to be said about that guy? His play calling is terrible. Way too conservative. I picked the Cowboy defense on fantasy football. Specifically because they were playing a defensive-oriented Tennessee team. Thinking they would beat them. Not because of Amari Cooper, because defense is no longer existent in the NFL. It's an offensive league. And Tennessee is a dying breed of teams that is trying to rely on defensive strategy. And Jason Garrett can't beat them. Now, that's not entirely his fault. It's not his fault that the front office, Jerry Jones, brings in Amari Cooper... Gives up a first-round pick. By the way, Dallas, they made that move saying the NFC East is wide open this season. Well, they have to go 6-2 and two in the second half of the season just to finish above 500. Was that worth giving up a first-round pick for? Terrible trade by Dallas. Terrible. Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett both need to go if the Cowboys are ever going to get better. Not one or the other, but in reality, neither of them are going to go. Jerry Jones stood up for his quarterback, Dak Prescott, last night. Cowboy fans are missing Tony Romo. They really are. Jerry Jones says he doesn't expect any changes in the coaching staff in the coming weeks. If he hasn't gotten rid of Jason Garrett by now, he's not going to. And it's tough to think what else we're missing out on with the Cowboys. Because before long, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel Elliott being on this list. As long as he stays in Dallas and the front office and the coaching staff remain intact... Ezekiel Elliott's going to be one of the biggest wasted talents in NFL history. You have Scott Linehan as an offensive coordinator. Matt LaFleur, who was up here at Northern in 2006. He made him look foolish last night. Rod Marinelli running the defense. Lions fans remember him for the 0-16 season back in 2008. What kind of blackmail does Jason Garrett have on Jerry Jones? Mention Marcus Mariota and what he's got. Did you see him last night? He looked like the Heisman winner back at Oregon. Marcus Mariota looked like the Marcus Mariota of old. Just think what he could do if he had a consistent offensive line. You take out Taylor Luan, and what do you have on Tennessee? When is Mariota going to get paired up with an offensive-minded head coach? You put him on the L.A. Rams right now, they would be better with Mariota rather than Jared Goff. And I don't mean to be ripping on Jared Goff. I just don't think he's proven himself. And Mariota... Is a lot like Aaron Rodgers in the sense that he's been wasted by his coaching, the scheme that he's been in, and he doesn't have a good supporting cast around him. Obviously, Mariota and Rodgers aren't on the same level talent-wise, but we'll never know how good Mariota could be. Battling back from injury over and over again, why do you think he's hurt all the time? Does he gets sacked 11 times by Baltimore. Let's keep rolling through this list. Joe Thomas former offensive lineman for the Cleveland Browns, retired after last season. Need we say more? He was on the Cleveland Browns, one of the best to ever play the game, an iron man. He just would not get hurt. But he was on the Cleveland Browns, and he went through last year's 0-16 season. He went through Hugh Jackson. He went through Mike Pettin. Not only did he not have a head coach, he didn't have a quarterback, a running back, a star receiver outside of Josh Gordon when he played. How many teams would love to have Joe Thomas on their offensive line right now, a few months into retirement, let alone in his prime? That makes you sad to see, because he's another really good guy in football. We've got to take a break, and we'll get to the rest of the list afterwards. But I want to leave you with this, kind of an honorable mention. A couple of them, actually. A few guys I hesitated putting on the list or not. Andrew Luck and Adrian Peterson. Andrew Luck. A guy who had some pretty good years with Chuck Pagano. Played in six postseason games, but he went 3-3 three and three in that time. Made the AFC Championship before. But the last few years obviously struggled with injury. Now he's reasonably healthy. Starting to look like he was when he first came into the league. But he doesn't have anywhere close to the talent around him that he did a few years ago. Andrew Luck has only got a few years left in the NFL. And he's a good enough quarterback where he can lead a squad that will consistently contend for the AFC. But how does he want to spend his last few years in the league, his last few years of health, barring another major injury? Does he want to spend them in Indianapolis, where he's going to have to settle for 4-12 and every season? Colts' team doesn't look like it's getting much better. They've got a plan. They're trying to build around. But can you do that while luck is still around? That's why he's on honorable mention. Adrian Peterson. One of the best running backs to ever play the game that does not have a ring. Played most of his prime under Leslie Frazier over in Minnesota. Made the playoffs a couple of times. Did so with Joe Webb as the quarterback even. But Adrian Peterson never got to fully experience Mike Zimmer. He had him for a few games, the year that the off-field issues started becoming a factor. But think about what Adrian Peterson and his prime would be right now for this Vikings team. Mike Zimmer relies on defense. He relies on having a fresh defense, and that means ground and pound the football. Use your offense, keep them on the field, run the ball, give your defense a chance to rest, be on the sideline for an extended amount of time. Wear the other team's defense down. Think what Adrian Peterson would be in his prime with Mike Zimmer right now. Or if not, think what Adrian Peterson could have been if he was with somebody other than the Vikings and Leslie Frazier during his prime. We've got the rest of the list coming up on the other side of this break. Keep it tuned right here to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
0: Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP mobile app. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only at Ojibwe Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you on Tuesday, November 6th, as we get into the back half of this Sports Pen. Let's get into the back half of this list of NFL players wasted during their prime in the last 15 years. Again, this is wasted in the sense that they had a team, front office, coach, what have you, that did not take advantage of them while they were in their prime and could have been winning them Super Bowls. This list is not for players who ruin their lives with drugs or off-the-field issues, nothing like that. This is simply players that we may never get to know how good they really are because they've been wasted in their prime by coaches who didn't know how to use them, or the team they played with was just flat-out not good. During the break, I was thinking about another name that you could put on there for honorable mention about Derek Carr? Derek Carr is a pretty good quarterback. His brother, too. I don't know that we've ever gotten to see how good they could be. Could Derek Carr win a Super Bowl? I really think he could in the right system. They had a couple of years ago, that playoff run, they looked primed to be really good for a long time. And now they're going through the rebuild. Don't get me wrong. What John Gruden is doing is right over there in Oakland, soon to be Vegas. What he's doing is correct, and they shouldn't stray away from it. But going the route that they are, which again is a correct one. Gruden has the time and the cap space to be able to build the team that he wants specifically. And he has a right to do that as a head coach. But if he's going to do that, have mercy and release Derek Carr. Let Derek Carr go somewhere where they will appreciate him and where he can win. Continuing to go through the list of players whose prime was wasted during the last 15 seasons. How about a couple of chargers that not a lot of people are talking about but probably should? Philip Rivers and Antonio Gates. Why don't people talk about Philip Rivers as one of the best quarterbacks in the game? A guy who came into the league in 2004. His career passer rating, 94.6. That is ninth best all time. What makes him more valuable, he's durable too. He has the fourth longest consecutive start streak at the quarterback position in NFL history. A few more of Philip Rivers' accomplishments. A seven-time Pro Bowl selection, NFL Comeback Player of the Year, NFL Passing Yards Leader in 2010. He was the passer rating leader in 2008. Completion Percentage Champion in 2013. He has been extremely accurate, and he gives his team a chance to win every time he takes the field. He has made the postseason five times in his career. He has been to the postseason just five times and played nine games over the course of his NFL career, which is in its 16th year. How about his longtime tight end, Antonio Gates, a Michigan native. He's from Detroit. Eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro. He has 934 career catches, 115 of them for touchdowns. That's good for 11,596 total yards for an undrafted free agent coming out of college because he played basketball in college at Kent State. Now he has more touchdowns than any other NFL tight end in history. So where are these guys' Super Bowl rings? Very noticeable omissions for some of the best players in football without a Super Bowl ring. Well, let's look at the coaching to start out with. Too small of a sample size for us to really know what Anthony Lynn is made of, but there's a lot to feel good about when you look at what he's done so far. A lot to like about him as far as future potential. But let's look at the coaches of the San Diego and L.A. Chargers in the time that Rivers and Gates have been in the league. The best offensive mind that either of those have been coached by is Norv Turner. That tells you something right there. Norv Turner who won 56 games and lost 40 at the helm of the Chargers, was the best offensive-minded coach that either of them had in their time in the NFL. The best coach overall was Marty Schottenheimer. 205 career wins, that's sixth all-time. But Schottenheimer could not win in the postseason, and he was a defensive coach. He wasn't getting the best out of guys like Philip Rivers and Antonio Gates, even LaDainian Tomlinson. By the way, notice how I omitted LaDainian Tomlinson from this list. That's because I don't base a successful career on Super Bowl rings. It makes a big, big argument in the case for a successful or unsuccessful career. Make no mistake. But it shouldn't be the basis of whether a guy's career was successful or not. I think we can all agree Dan Marino is one of the most elite quarterbacks to ever play the game. And he doesn't have a ring. Well, neither does Ladanian Tomlinson, but he still accomplished about everything possible for a successful running back. Five-time pro bowler, MVP in 2006, Offensive Player of the Year that same year, Man of the Year in 06 as well, two-time rushing champ 06, 07. He's a first-ballot Hall of Famer, as he deserves to be. It's debatable, but in my mind, Ladanian Tomlinson was not wasted. Ladanian Tomlinson was not wasted in his prime. Phillip Rivers... Antonio Gates, I believe, were. Both of them are past their prime, but both of them still have the opportunity, but both of them are still good enough to be impactful players. And I do believe that the Chargers finally got the head coach they need to be successful with, Anthony Lynn. They would have liked to have somebody like him maybe in 06, 07, when you could have Tomlinson, Rivers, and Antonio Gates all at their prime. But Phillip Rivers is still very much of use to the Chargers, and Antonio Gates, something tells me he's still got something big left in him. He's still got a few surprises left up his sleeve. They had to struggle through the years of Norv Turner, the years of Mike McCoy, and finally they get to Anthony Lynn, who I really believe has the Chargers on the right track. They're 6-2. and two. They're just one game out of first place in the West. They're going to make the playoffs this year. I don't think they'll catch Kansas City, but they're the sleeper team in the NFL. So to recap, Rivers and Gates were wasted during their prime, but they're not being wasted now. Anthony Lynn is getting the most out of this Charger squad, and when you pair those two up with Melvin Gordon, kind of gives you flashbacks of LT when he was back there running the football. Two more left on the list, and the next one I want to bring up is Brandon Marshall. Would it surprise you if I told you that Brandon Marshall, who's been in the league since 2006, has never played in a postseason game? In fact, his team has only finished above 500 three times in his career. Think about that. Think about what kind of player Brandon Marshall is. 6'5", 232 pounds, he is impossible to bring down. A mid-round pick out of UCF in 06, came in the fourth round. Since then, he's been an NFL All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, and the NFL Receiving Touchdowns co-leader, Back in 2015, just shy of 1,000 career catches for north of 12,350 yards. It's averaging 12.7 yards a catch. Oh, and by the way, 83 career touchdowns. Yet he's never got to enjoy or experience the postseason. He has only been a part of three teams that finished with a positive record in his career. He's a free agent right now in his 13th NFL season. Started the year with Seattle, no longer with them. But out of those 13 seasons, 12 and a half, if you want to go that route, out of those 12 and a half seasons, his head coach was fired halfway through the year in two seasons. His first four years as a Denver Bronco, he was paired up with Mike Shanahan as his head coach. Now you would think that's a pretty good combination. A Super Bowl champion, Mike Shanahan. I don't pin... The lack of success that Marshall experienced in Denver in the mid-2000s necessarily on Shanahan as much as I do the quarterbacks that were throwing to Marshall. Let me read you the list of Brandon Marshall's quarterbacks from his time as a Denver Bronco. Jake Cutler, Patrick Ramsey, Jake Plummer, Chris Sims, Tom Brandstatter, and Kyle Orton. Outside of Jake Plummer, maybe three or four years before Brandon Marshall ever played with him, there's not much eliteness between those quarterbacks. You don't even have to have an elite quarterback to get the most out of a star wide receiver. You have to be consistent. None of those guys were consistent. Plummer, yes. Everyone else has been a journeyman. Has Brandon Marshall had some poor coaches during the course of his career? Certainly. But his quarterbacks really play a big factor into why he hasn't been able to reach his untapped potential. What if, pure speculation, pure fun, what if the Packers had made a move for a guy like Brandon Marshall in the mid to late 2000s? They paired him up alongside Donald Driver and let Brett Favre throw to him. If that had happened, tell me why Brandon Marshall couldn't have been a Randy Moss type receiver. Why he couldn't be that good. The last name on the list I want to bring up, and I'll do it briefly because we still need to hear the MHSAA message before we go to break, is Frank Gore. Oh yeah, remember him? Frank Gore. He's still in the league, by the way. Frank Gore. He is fourth all-time in the NFL rushing yards category. Fourth all-time. As of today, Gore has 14,464 total rushing yards, 77 touchdowns. Not to mention 450 pass receptions for 3,740 yards, including 18 receiving touchdowns. He's averaging 4.3 yards per carry over the course of a career. Not one season in his prime. He's sustained that throughout his career. Frank Gore has been to the Pro Bowl five times. He's an Art Rooney Award winner, did that two years ago. He has rushed for 1,000 yards in a single season nine times in his professional career. But let's face it, he's been a part of some really, really bad teams. He was with the San Francisco 49ers from 2005 until 2014. San Fran went to the postseason three times during that time, three consecutive years, 2011, 12, and 13. That run included a Super Bowl appearance back in 2012, ended up losing to Baltimore 34-31. But those were the only three seasons in which Frank Gore has been on team that's made the postseason. He's so much better of a player than that. This is his 14th year. He's not going to the playoffs this year with Miami. During his time with San Francisco, he went through four different head coaches. Started out with Mike Nolan. He got fired midway through the season. Mike Singletary came in and took over. He ended up getting fired midway through the season. Jim Tom Sula, remember him? He was the head coach of San Fran for one season a couple of years ago. He was the interim head coach during Frank Gore's time there. And eventually they settled on Jim Harbaugh, who had success with the 49ers. But by then, Gore was starting to show age. So he goes to Indianapolis, teams up with Chuck Pagano. And of course, Andrew Luck's injury problems had a lot to do with the Colts' lack of success over there. But even back in 2015 and 16, with a healthy Andrew Luck, the Colts went 16 and 16 in Gore's first two seasons with the Colts. They were eight and eight both years. Then luck gets hurt, a disastrous four and 12 season. By now he's well over the hill, and he's out in Miami just trying to make it work, just trying to stay in the game. You can make the same argument for and Tomlinson as Frank Gore. They've been on some teams that haven't had a lot of success, but that they themselves have cemented themselves among the best in the NFL. But have they? LaDainian Tomlinson no doubt has, but were you surprised at hearing Frank Gore's accomplishments to know that he has nine different seasons of 1,000-plus rushing yards? That he's fourth all-time in NFL rushing yards that he has caught and rushed for just shy of 100 career touchdowns? Ladanian Tomlinson and Frank Gore don't get the same credit when you hear those names. You hear Ladanian Tomlinson, you think greatness. You don't think the same thing when you hear the name Frank Gore even though they both put up eye-popping career stats while being on some mediocre teams with subpar coaching. That is my list for NFL players who've been wasted in their prime or are being wasted. Did we miss anybody? If we did, you can tweet us, let us know, at ESPNUP on Twitter. Be sure to let us know. We'll get our weekly message from the MHSAA before we go to break. Keep it tuned right here to the Sports Pen on ESPNUP. A double-triple seven-person
1: crews and a place of their own. It's all next on This Week in High School Sports powered by Michigan Student Aid. Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. Hi again everyone I'm John Johnson and welcome to This Week in High School Sports. The Irish Hills of Southern Michigan rolled a pair of threes Saturday at the MHSAA Lower Peninsula Cross Country Finals at Michigan International Speedway and the process rolled individual championships into team titles as well. Hart won its second straight Division III girls team title, and senior Adeline Ackley took top individual honors for the third straight year.
0: It's great to be able to train with my team. They're pretty much like my family, and it's just been so much fun to be able to train with them. And it's really, really hard graduating, you know. i going to miss them a
1: lot. Carroll claimed the D3 boys championship, its first team title in cross country ever, and senior Yami Albrick won his third individual title. Yes, I'm happy about that. Um, that's like I said, it's going to be even more fun when I hear our, th- our team got the W. Um, hopefully we did because that's just going to make everything a lot more sweeter uh, for me and the team. Thanks to our friends at RunMichigan.com for the audio. Both Hart and Carroll had all five of their scoring runners finish in the top 30 to earn All-State honors. You can read more about the cross-country finals on the second half page of the MHSAA website. Our MHSAA TV Game Balls this week go out to John Doherty of Detroit Country Day, who set a finals game record with 19 saves in a 1-0 boys soccer shootout victory over Grand Rapids Forest Hills Northern for the Division II Championship on Saturday, and Caden Shabba, who scored twice for Hudsonville Unity Christian in its 3-1 overtime win against Grosse for the Division III Boys Championship. You can watch both games right now online for free at MHSAA TV. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to This Week in High School Sports. Do
0: you need money for college? Michigan Student Aid is Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. They administer scholarships, grants, college savings programs, and other resources that help make college accessible, affordable, and achievable for you. See how they can help you today by visiting Michigan.gov slash MyStudentAid and connect with Michigan Student Aid on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram.
1: Our weekly Be the Referee feature looks into the fine art of officiating with Brett Rice. Since 2015, the MHSAA has used 7-person football officiating crews at the semifinal and final levels of our 11-player tournament. These larger crews replaced the traditional 5-person crews in the 24 most important games of the football season. 7-person crews, which for many years were the size of NCAA and NFL crews, provide for much better coverage in the passing and running games with all of the spread offenses and wide-open attacks that have become commonplace in recent years in high school football. By adding the two extra officials on each deep sideline, coaches now have two officials to communicate with on each sideline to answer questions and address concerns. Thanks, Brent. You can be a referee. Go online now to the MHSA website to register. In the mid-1990s, the MHSAA was developing a tournament city concept for some of its final events, a branding effort of sorts, something for schools and teams and hosting communities to rally around. When all four divisions of the Lower Peninsula cross-country finals came together in 1996 at Michigan International Speedway, it landed with a resounding thud. A cross-country parent myself at the time, the course lacked intersections that we as fans liked to run between to watch, and from a hardcore purist standpoint, there wasn't a trademark heartbreak hill. But the course that rolls through the wooded grounds on the back of the Speedway Oval has proven itself competition-worthy over time, and all the kinks about allowing spectators complete freedom on the course, about timing, and the colorful tent village on the infield on race day has turned the venue into a destination point for runners, a goal to set a place of their own. And it wouldn't be possible without the dozens of officials and folks from the local sponsoring schools and the MIS Volunteer Pool who come out and give it their best to make it a great day. If you've never seen the finish of a high school cross-country race coming down the home stretch of a NASCAR racetrack with hundreds of enthusiastic fans lining the pit row wall, come on out to Michigan International Speedway on the first Saturday of November next year. You won't be disappointed. You've been listening to This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, a production of the MHSCA Network. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm John Johnson. We'll see you next time. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and
0: on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP mobile app. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday is back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only at Ojibwe Casino, Barraga, and Marquette. Tanner Hoops with you as we roll through Tuesday. Well, here's some breaking news out of the NFL earlier this afternoon. The Detroit Lions have parted ways with running back Amir Abdullah. They have released the former Nebraska Cornhusker, and they've brought back Zach Zenner. So Amir Abdullah gone? Zach Zenner is in. Remember at the start of the year when Abdullah and Ty Montgomery both played for their respective teams? Lots changed since then. Guess what else is changing? It is the start of the college basketball season this evening. NCAA hoops tips off. This is going to be fun. Who else just loves this time of the year? How about the matchups that we have to look forward to? Some marquee matchups on opening night this evening. Duke against Kentucky. How much fun is that going to be? And then you have Michigan State, the Spartans looking for another strong season. They open the season against the top-ranked team in the country, the Kansas Jayhawks. Anybody who knows what those programs are about knows that that is the pinnacle of college basketball, those four teams and what they bring to the table. We all know how good these coaches are and how good they are at managing the one-and-done situations. Krzyzewski, Izzo, Calipari, Self, they can all handle guys coming for one season then going to the NBA because they just reload. They're so good at attracting top-tier talent right out of high school. So much so that between those four teams, eight of the top 15 nationally ranked high school products will be on display. 7 o'clock tip tonight for Kansas and Michigan State. We get to see the Kansas debut for the Lawson Brothers. Transfers over from Memphis... Meanwhile, Michigan State trying to find an identity without Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges. They did not bring in a top 15 recruiting class this year, and they are still a top 10 team. That's the appetizer, then the nightcap. Kentucky ranked second, and Duke ranked fourth. 9.30 Eastern, the tip for that one. If you like basketball, tonight is a great night to do nothing. Of course, once you've got back from voting, settle down inside. Come on and watch some basketball. There's going to be some great hoops on TV tipping off this evening. Of course, the college football playoff rankings will come out tonight, a second edition of them. Once again, this is how they should be, according to me. It should be Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Michigan. That's the top four with Georgia just outside. You have Georgia fans giving the argument that they should be among the top four teams. Whether it be tonight or the end of the season, probably both. They're big on football down there in Athens. They believe that they are a top 14, but who do you take out in that situation? Maybe Georgia is good enough. They probably are. But who gets bumped out of the top four that we presume to be in there tonight with Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan? Alabama just looks like they have no weakness. This may be Nick Saban's best team in Alabama, which is just unfathomable to think about. Clemson and Notre Dame are also undefeated. They've done nothing wrong. They've both played strong enough schedules. You can't bump them. Now, I know people will say Notre Dame hasn't played a good schedule, that Clemson plays in the ACC and there's nobody good there. But those teams have taken care of business just like they needed to. And in all fairness to them, they're probably not going to get in if they lose one. But right now, they've done what they need to to get into the playoff. I will say this, though. Anybody who says Notre Dame has played a weak schedule... They have wins over the Big Ten East leader, the Big Ten West leader, the ACC Coastal. And they certainly haven't scheduled Louisiana Lafayette, where none of the students decide to show up. That leaves Michigan. Michigan deserves to get in at the four spot over Georgia. For one thing, they're both one-loss teams. Michigan's loss came to Notre Dame, who is in the top five, and Michigan needs it to stay that way. For Michigan to keep pace over a team like Georgia, that's their biggest argument right now. Yeah, we're on the same playing field as you with one loss. Our loss came to a team that's undefeated and ranked in the top four. Yours did not. Georgia had a better case to be ranked above Michigan last week before LSU not only lost, they got stomped by Alabama on their home field last weekend. I'm predicting LSU will come in at number 10 in the rankings this evening. Won't fall out of the top 10, Still not a bad loss for Georgia, but to me, they don't have an argument to be ranked higher than Michigan or Notre Dame or Clemson for that matter. Nobody has an argument to be made as far as being ranked higher than Alabama. Alabama looks just unreal right now. They're not showing any signs of weakness. In my mind, the committee shortchanged Notre Dame and Michigan last week by moving them down both a spot from the AP poll. They won't do it again. They won't do it again. The poll tonight should look Alabama one, Clemson two, Notre Dame three, Michigan four. Well, let's take a look at the NBA tonight. You have Milwaukee visiting Portland, 10 p.m. tip off. You can watch all kinds of basketball tonight. The time zone's really working in your favor if you live out here. What's the over under on Milwaukee dropping 23s this evening? Three out of their last four games, they have made 19, 19, and 23 three-pointers. In their last three victories, the Bucks are averaging 20.3 three-pointers per game. The only loss they've had in those last four games is the only loss they've had all season. That's where their opponent has had to make 24 triples. The Bucks are a scary, scary club. And when they heat it up from downtown, they heat it up. And you don't have a shot at beating them. The Bucks are a legitimate team to the point where if they are having a good shooting night, you're just not going to beat them. And there is not another team like that who does that on a consistent basis other than the Golden State Warriors. Which is why I cannot wait for Thursday night's matchup. The Bucks and Golden State. I bet you we have a few listeners who can't wait for it either. How about over in hockey? Are the Red Wings starting to figure it out? Yeah, I know they're coming off a loss, but they're playing much better as of late. They're 4-6 and six in their last 10, I know, not great. But they are coming together. They're starting to put some wins together. 7.30 puck drop tonight as they host Vancouver. I tell you what, Vancouver is a team that is trying to figure themselves out right now. They're 9-6. and six, They're young. And there's talent there, too. There's a lot to like about what Vancouver brings to the table. Elias Pettersson, a guy who doesn't get all the credit that he probably deserves. Michael Granlin. How about Scorvat? Bo Horvat? Obviously, they're going to need to get guys like Jay Beagle and Brock Besser healthy. But Adam Gaudette on that squad? That's only the forwards. Defense is where this Canucks team concerns me. Their top two defensemen, Michael Delzato and Derek Puglia. Ouch. You need to upgrade a defense if you want to have a serious run into the postseason. Jacob Markstrom, he's an okay goaltender. He's an okay goaltender. He's not going to steal a win for you, but he'll do well enough. Neither starting goaltender for this evening has been confirmed, but we're expecting Markstrom for Vancouver. Jimmy Howard maybe gets the nod for the Wings. We'll see if it's him or Bernier. But the Wings are back home at Little Caesars tonight. They've got a chance to turn this season around. Might be optimistic saying that, but they have got a chance to rectify themselves after a slow start. Well, that's it for us. That's all the time we have. Thanks as always for listening, being with us, and making us a part of your afternoon. Hope you enjoy the games tonight. Enjoy it safe, responsibly, what have you, all that. Make sure to join us again tomorrow. Same time, same place. 4 Eastern, 3 Central on ESPN-UP and online with the ESPN UP mobile app. Signing off from the ESPN Studios WZAM Ishpeming Marquette, I'm Tanner Hoops. Enjoy the Will Kane Show.